It's that time of year again when I get to tell you about the Banner of Truth. The objective of the Banner of Truth is the promotion, advancement, and dissemination of better knowledge and understanding of the history and the doctrines of the true biblical Christian faith. We seek to inform, encourage, strengthen, and equip ordinary Christians and have a particular concern for ministers and pastors and those training for the ministry. We believe in biblical Christianity, and if we have to be labeled, we would be thought of as a reformed, Calvinistic, conservative, evangelical publisher. We seek to focus in our activities on the major and fundamental truths of biblical Christianity rather than on those truths which may be regarded as secondary, although not unimportant, such as church polity. We trace our theological heritage from the apostles through the early church to the Reformation to the Puritans such as John Owen, Richard Sibbs, and Thomas Brooks, and the 18th century heritage of George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, and then on to the likes of Spurgeon, Ryle, Alexander, and Hodge in the 19th century, and Warfield, Murray, Hendrickson, and Lloyd-Jones of the 20th century. We publish books that were written from the time of the Reformation right through modern day. And through the whole month of September, you can use the code SHEPHERDSCROOK at checkout and get 10% off. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to be here live again in my office and it's going to be a neat conversation with a, we got a fellow elder from a church here in town from Cornerstone Reform Church. I'm here talking with my new friend, Nathan Bruno. How's it going, man? Br- wait, wait, wait. We just did this. Bruno. You did it, you did it right. Yeah. Br- Bruno, it's, yeah. It's one of those where my whole life I've been dealing with it, so I don't bother, it doesn't bother me when it's mis- mispronounced. So. Okay. Gotcha. Well, you're a ruling elder, elder yes. at, at Cornerstone Reform Church, and you guys will remember I interviewed Bill, Bill Smith last year, and he and Bill are buddies. Yes. So, when I asked on Gab the other day, who wants to, anybody want to come on, you you bit. I'm becoming more of a gabber and less of a Facebooker, so yeah. I was like, you know what, i got to reach out, because uh, this, this what you're doing here, which I haven't totally figured out what it is yet, yeah. <laughs> interests me. Okay, so. good. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, right. we'll figure out together what we're doing here today. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for this time. I thank you for a brother and a friend, and... In Nathan, and I just ask that you lead this conversation. And God, I pray it'd be beneficial to those who are listening in. I thank you that, that we get to do this and uh, just guide the time. Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. I trust that you will. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Nathan, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, man. You were just telling me about your kids, yeah. your family, but tell us about yourself, your family, and then what you do. Okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 46 years old, and I'm from Carbondale. I was born at Carbondale Hospital, lived here my whole life, you know. Uh, we we lived in Elkville for a little while, just uh, but in this area worked worked went to school here, graduated from high school here. What year did you graduate? Ninety three. Okay, so Dan Cross was ninety one. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that? I wouldn't I wouldn't say I know Dan Cross, but his he was a famous kid and a good yeah. basketball player and all that back. Yeah. I can remember looking up to guys like him in high school. I mean, I watched him play ball. Yeah, the guy was and, amazing. Of course, he went to the Final Four and all that. But yeah, uh, he he would have been in my brother's class. I have one older brother. Um, that's my only sibling, and they were in the same class. Okay. So yeah, I would go to go to games, watch him play when he was in high school. Um, yeah. So been in Carbondale my entire life, except for a little stint, you know, um, at college, and uh, been married 25 years to Marla, my wife. She is a, a girl I met uh, in church. She came down to SIU. She's from Champaign. We got married in '96, and we have seven children, six boys, one daughter. 
and four of those boys are now out of the house. Three are married, wow. four are out of the house. We just we just shed one kid about three weeks ago to okay. college. He went to Virginia. Oh, wow. And uh, so we're down to actually less than half our kids now, and it seems odd. So what's the age range then? Um, my oldest son was born in 97, so uh, he's 20. I, it's hard to remember. He's 23, <laughs> I think. Okay. Yeah, he's 23. And then my youngest son, Titus, is 11. So only 13 years separates the oldest and youngest. And uh, we're boy heavy. Uh, didn't plan it that way, but that's what, what the Lord had for us. So a lot of the stuff that happens in our house is masculine. Yeah. And even my daughter does a lot of masculine things just because right. she can't get away from it. Um, her The favorite question that she gets asked that she can't really answer is, what's it like having six brothers? And she's like, well, I don't really, I don't really know any difference. So what's an example? What's some things that Bruno family does? Um, well, everything's a competition. Okay. Even yeah. getting married and having babies is a competition yeah. now, it seems okay. like. Okay. <laughs> so, like, my second-born son, Sam, who's 22, he's only a year younger than his oldest brother. Okay. He got married first. All right. And then his brother had to hurry up and get married then. Okay. And yeah, then of course. his brother had first grandchild okay Kai Malachi my, my, my grandson and so you know one got married first one had the baby first right it's just trade-off and now Sam has had a daughter last we call it the COVID baby yeah her name is Violet she's my second grand oh no she's my first granddaughter and now my second granddaughter was born about a month ago okay congratulations um, so anyway yeah it's just, great it's like a it's like a, you know that weird chapter in the Bible where uh, Jacob and his his concubines are all having a competition. Who, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of like that, except no yeah. polygamy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, where was that? So, um, lived in Carbondale most of my life. Um, my parents, I guess my, my my Christian testimony would start with my parents, okay. who came down here for college in this, in the early seventies. They weren't Christians when they came to Carbondale. Okay. My dad was a GI, you know, had had the GI Bill, had come back from Vietnam, got married. And he was from the Metro East area, up by St. Louis. Okay. And his friends uh, just told him, hey, you got free college. You ought to go. You know, nobody in his family had ever gone to college. That just wasn't even Mm -hmm. a thing in his head. And in the the early 70s, you know, he was just going to be a common laborer like his parents and maybe a farmer or whatever. And so he decided to come down here with my mom in 70 or 71, right about there. Okay. And they just started living the party school life. Right, uh, like people do in at least in, in the old days. Yeah. I mean, Carbonell's kind of changed in recent years, but back in the, those days, it was party school, come down, have fun, and maybe get a college degree and get a get a career. Right. Well, what they ended up hap- uh, running into was um, my mom was a dental assistant, and she worked alongside a pastor's wife. Okay. And I don't think she even knew that at the time. Okay. And the pastor's wife was the wife of a of a, a Baptist minister here in town. There used to be a church named Lantana Baptist Church okay. on Wall Street. All right. It's now um, that. I think it was that guy, there was a guy there who was discipling a bunch of younger guys or something like that. Well, back in the 70s, yes. His name was Larry Shackley. I've heard about that okay. guy. Okay. Phil Nelson, Phil was telling me about oh, Phil, it. Oh, Phil, yeah, Phil, Phil would know him. Phil yeah. has a high respect for this guy. Does he? Okay. Of course, I do too. But yeah. I think he, he's still alive, but he's very old and retired now. Uh, he's probably in his late 80s, probably. I don't know. Anyway, Larry Shackley, great pastor, godly man, expository preacher, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Before it was cool to be that right. kind of stuff. Anyway, my mom uh, was working alongside his wife. Um, I think her name was Jean, and uh, she invited her to a revival. Oh yeah, you know, the early '70s revival. You know, right. hey, we're gonna have this guy come in and preach. And my mom and dad had various histories with the gospel, but never become Christians. And their parents weren't Christians. Mm-hmm. They were just kind of 
World War II generation baby boom kids. Okay. And so anyway, she went to the revival, conviction of the Holy Spirit, saved, uh, wants to get baptized, comes home to my dad and tells him all this. They have no kids at the time. You know, okay. Comes home to my dad and my dad just, you know, flips out. Oh no. Really? Now I'm married to a holy roller. <laughs> this is not what I envisioned for oh, life. No. Uh, what am yeah. I going to do? And I don't know if I have the story all 100% right, but this is kind of what I've gathered over the years. And so he's just resistant yeah. and angry and possibly even thinking about maybe I need to divorce this woman. You know, oh, wow. And so the pastor comes over and visits and says, David, what's your, what's your opposition you know, to, uh, to the gospel? What's your, what's your opposition to, the, to Christ? And he throws him out of the house, you know, basically, get out of here. I don't want to mm. get the hell out of my house. You know, I kind of yeah. And uh, the pastor, Larry, is real persistent. I mean, mm -hmm. in a godly, masculine way, he keeps yeah. coming back. And I don't remember how many times he came. But in the end, he got wise as a serpent mm. and uh, innocent as a dove. He came back and said, Dad, what, or, uh, David, what, my, my father's name is David. Yeah. David, what's your objection to coming to church? And your wife going to church, because he didn't want anything. He didn't mm -hmm. want any of it. He wanted his, my mom to not go. And uh, he said, well, there's other men there. And they're gonna, my wife's a good-looking woman, and they're going to try to hit on my wife. And, mm -hmm. and so Larry, wise as a serpent, says, oh, you're right. That's why you need to be there to protect her. <laughs> and so, and my dad fell yeah. for it. You know, uh -huh. he's like, oh, you're, oh, that's, uh, I'm going to go. Yeah. I don't want my wife getting hit on by the yeah. so He comes, hears the gospel under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It takes about six months, I think, okay. if, if you time it out right, from when my mom became a Christian to when he finally submitted to Christ. So they become Christians. This is about 1971, okay. 72, something like that. And then um, they become Christians. They're, they're kind of on fire for Jesus. It's the Jesus movement of the early 70s. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, I've got the, uh, you got the book for, on that? God's Forever okay. Family right there. It you know, tells that story. The, the, the early vineyard movement in California, the Keith Green stuff. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Anyway, all that stuff was going on. And um, Pastor Shackley had this idea for having a bookstore. Mm -hmm. uh, with Bibles and things Was that for pastors. Land? Well, yeah. So here we're, we're getting around to it now. And so then he he needed help though because he was a pastor. Mm -hmm. He he wanted full time be a books bookseller or a librarian or whatever the the idea was. So he said, David, I want you to come along and help me mm -hmm. with this idea. So they started. I think it was called um, originally uh, the Bible Bookstore and Gospel Land Sounds. So okay. dad was like the music guy. The contemporary Christian music was just a new scene, right. a new thing. And so my dad was going to do that side. And then okay. Larry, Pastor Larry was going to do the, the books and the Bibles because he was a theologian. And dad didn't know anything about the Bible at this point. Yeah. So they started this thing. And this was about 70, 72, 73. And then real quickly, Larry said, you know what? I'm a pastor, David. This is all yours. Take it. Go. And my dad, um, he came under this notion that Christian ministry was really off limits for him because he was a novice but this kind of christian vocation was was open to him yeah and so he went with it i was born my brother was born about that year i was born two years later and so for the first 39 years of my life my parents owned this bookstore they ran gospel in yeah for i had no years. idea in marion and carbondale and then there was one in cape too for a while and we had one up in the fairview heights area for a while too Man, I had but no idea. Actually, Poplar Bluff for a couple years, too. Really? But anyway. So there were five stores at one point. Um, I don't think there were. Yeah, I think for maybe one year there were five stores. But okay. it was usually a hodgepodge of three. 
And we finally closed everything down in 2012, I think, was the last, okay. the last closure. Was that the Carbondale location? Yeah, I think we, we trickled down to, to Cape and Carbondale, and then finally, and then finally Carbondale closed. So what was that like, closing that up? Was that hard for the family? Well, you know, all my life, they had told me, because, you know, I'm raised in this Christian environment, yeah. very ecumenical environment. We were Southern Baptists, but we, we knew all different types of Christians, Catholics, mm-hmm. Protestants, Pentecostals, all that kind of stuff. And we in the books because they were, all, were coming in all the time. Yeah, you, and you in. just you just learn to to love people and know people, all different kinds of pastors, you know, different temperaments and personalities. Mm-hmm. But um, and when I was a kid, you know, they'd say, Nathan, my brother's name's Josh. Josh, Nathan, when you guys grow up, you're going to take over this business. This is going to be your ministry. Mm-hmm. And we, I just accepted that. I didn't never questioned it. Mm-hmm. Well, then as as time went on and the '90s come along and. I'm growing up and in high school, the book business changes in the 90s. I don't know if you remember this or not, but you're a little bit younger than me, but not much. Mm-hmm. I'm 38, 37. Yeah, so you, yep. if you remember in the 90s, things got real. I mean, things were always a little Jesus junky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by that? Jesus junk? Uh, the store, you know, you, you, yeah. merchandising the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. There was always that side of it, and I started to develop a bad taste in my mouth with that stuff. But in the 90s, it got real heavy because we were making most of our profit and money off of just dribble, just trash. Mm. I mean, it, it was Christian books, but it was just, uh, this stuff is not, this is not the good stuff, the heavy yeah. stuff. Nobody wanted to come in and read R.C. Sproul. They wanted to come in and read Left Behind, you know, things right. like this. So, as, you know, as I'm maturing into an adult in the 90s, I'm seeing this, and I'm thinking, I'm supposed to take this over. What am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. Am I going to change it into something different? Am I going to keep going along with this vein of things getting more and more just simplistic and silly? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, you, you remember um, televangelism and the big, you know, Jim Baker and all that stuff in yeah. the late 80s, early yeah, 90s. And definitely. All that stuff was just, we were surrounded by all that. Mm-hmm. And people were watching, uh, remember that, that Christian television station in Marion? Mm-hmm. TCT. Maybe, yeah, TCT yeah. And, yeah. and all that, the, the books that those people that watched yeah. that wanted to come and buy. And it started getting heavy on me, you know, in the late 90s. And about the time I got married, and I started reading broadly a lot of the stuff you have here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at books behind your head thinking, yeah, I've read yeah, that Yeah, I've categorized. These are kind of like the everyday read kind of stuff. And then that's some random stuff through there. And then I've got my... More like like systematic theology. That's the heavy stuff. That's the heavier stuff. And then some of the stuff I got from Mark Aiken. Yeah. Down there, uh, a bunch of stuff I got from Mark. He's he's been great to me. I see the he's, banner truth wall over yeah, there. Yeah, I've got my banner truth wall. <laughs> I just got that's my the uh, the uh, the John Knox is my latest banner of truth that, that came in. But, uh, but we, yeah, so anyways, we carried all these books, yep. but most of these books wouldn't sell. Mm-hmm. It was the dribble that would sell left behind. So, I mean, I I don't know how far you want deep you want to get in this story, but. I can remember thinking I have to read some of this stuff because mm-hmm. I got to know what I'm selling. Yeah, and I'm getting. I mean, I'm, let's see. I would have turned twenty in '95, twenty-one. I got married when I was twenty-one, so '96 I've been twenty-one. About that time, I was reading books that we were selling in heavy numbers, so so I could at least know what are we selling. Mm-hmm. What is it that I'm giving the church here? Yeah, and Left Behind was just one of them. So I was reading Left Behind, and I was thinking. This isn't that great. Hmm. Now I didn't have any context of, yeah. um, you know, dispensationalism was just that was the, the air accepted. we breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was 
and um, I didn't know there were other options. Yeah. And so I'm reading these books, and um, now my my love and my job right now is I'm an IT guy. Okay. So I was always into computers and internet and you know PCs and helping dad in bookstore. That was kind of my thing, the the computer side of it. And I can remember in, the, in one or in, a, in I think it's the third book of the Left Behind series. Okay. There's this character that's developed. I really don't want to do a bunch of de- deconstruction of the Left Behind series, but just <laughs> bear with right. me. It's it's important. I'm reading this book, and there's this character, and I can't remember his name or anything, but he's he's basically thwarting the Antichrist with his computer skills. Okay. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, this is complete garbage. Hmm. And I can remember middle of the book just slamming the book shut, throwing it on the table, and being mad for about two years. Wow. Being a non-millennialist for about two years. Okay. You know what I'm you yeah. know what I mean by that? I just was angered by it. I was like, that's not the Bible. That's not that's not the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. But I had no alternative. Yeah. And so I'm just angry. And I'm not I'm not losing my faith or anything. I'm just mad that this is what our business has become. I mean, we I don't want to completely knock the business. It was a good business. It was we sold a lot of Bibles. We did a lot of good, mm-hmm. but there was this side to it. There was this underbelly to it, I guess. Is the yeah. Word. And so, I don't know, cut different customers, different friends would say, you know, read this book, read that book. And so that would, you know, I'd start reading R.C. Sproul. Um, one big, huge book that I, that I got my hands on, and it wasn't recommended to me, was uh, called End Times Fiction by Gary DeMar. Yeah, I've seen Gary DeMar stuff. Um, I heard a radio show in about 1998 with him on it, and it was uh, the radio show was called Randall Terry Live. Do you remember Randall Terry? I don't. He was a big part of the late 80s uh, Operation Rescue. Okay. He would get thrown in jail because he would yeah. protest abortion clinics. Yeah. He kind of went off the reservation and got kooky in the late 90s. But anyway, he had this okay. radio show, and he invited Gary Demar on. I don't. I was just tuning in because I I didn't have anything else to listen to. Right. I hate listening to music in the car. I'm always listening to audio or something. So I'm listening in, driving back from work or something, I don't know. And this guy named Gary DeMar, who I've never heard of, is on there. And he's he's basically giving an expository um, overview of, of Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. And how this has all been fulfilled. Yeah. And I was it just like, wait, what? my world. I was angry. Man, I was so angry. And my wife says, you know, your story, Nathan, involves anger a lot. I was like, yeah, that's how God brought me into the <laughs> deeper in the kingdom. I get mad about stuff. But anyway... I got home and I was just mad. I was like, Marty, you can't believe this radio show I just heard. This guy was saying that Matthew 24 has all been fulfilled. and It's just crazy. I mean, but it, it just stuck in my craw and I couldn't get rid of it. So yeah. it took three or four years, but I finally read through Gary's book. and So the first domino for me into the Reformed world was, was eschatology. Yeah. And not because I wanted to go that direction, mm-hmm. but because I had nowhere else to go. Yeah. Because I knew what I was leaving was garbage and wrong and not healthy for the church. But that's where I went. So anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I, that was a long answer to what was the question? <laughs> and what do you do? Yeah, what uh, do I do? So anyways, that was what you did. Now you're an IT guy. And yeah. so just before we went live, you said you'd uh, been in Southern Baptist circles, Southern Baptist churches, yes. grew up in the Southern Baptist world. But now you're at Cornerstone Reformed, kind of by way of pastoral ministry for three years, and then landed at Cornerstone Reform. So you've been there how long now? Been at Cornerstone since 09, or we joined in 09. Okay. We started attending in uh, late 08, and that's a fun story. But um, 
Pastor Burke Shade is a mentor, a friend. Um, he's the former pastor of Cornerstone. He retired in 2017, and uh, right before Bill Smith came, mm-hmm. five months later. And so um, I had met Burke when I was a pastor in a strange way. Do you want me to tell that story? It's a fun story. Um, sure. I had been reading by recommendation as a pastor. I was I was reading by recommendation of a friend a book called Through New Eyes by James Jordan. Okay. Uh, have you ever heard of that? He's I know a, James Jordan, a, but I don't he's know. He's kind of a heavy theologian, and, yeah. and you have to acquire a taste for him. But I've got about a thousand uh, tapes. tapes oh, okay, right so here if you listen, yeah, I mean, he's a he's a very he's a uh, he has the deep weird interpretive biblical maximalism all that kind of stuff anyway i was reading a book by the guy anyway um and then i found out um a week after it happened that he had been in town speaking at a homeschool graduation ceremony oh wow which is hosted every year at at what is now my church at the time it wasn't and again i got mad Mm -hmm. Uh, the the anger i don't know if it's righteous anger or not but anyway (laughs) I was like, why didn't they promote? This guy's a great theologian. Why They should have promoted this better. Uh-huh. I would have gone. I would have met this guy. I was a little angry about it. And so I was like, who's the pastor of this church? And I was looking up on the internet, and uh, I had heard Burke's name before, but didn't really know him, never really met him. I knew some people in his church. Okay. Anyway, I emailed him kind of a nasty gram. Hey, mm-hmm. next time you have a, a heavy hitter, promote it better, dude, so mm-hmm. some pastors can come. You know, yeah. Some people can come. We need we need help out here. You know, Help a brother yeah. out. That kind of thing. And his response was a, is, is a classic. I'll never forget it. It was a one-line email response, reply. What rock have you been hiding under? Let's have lunch. <laughs> and that's the kind of guy he was. I don't know if yeah, you, yeah, he, yeah, was a, yeah. he was a military officer back in the 70s and then went to seminary and became a pastor. So he was kind of a, a we, we call, I called him a drill sergeant pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, very masculine, very in your face. Hey, mm-hmm. do this, do that. You know? You're right. He liked to give orders, and it was needed. Um, anyway, so we met over lunch, and the, the thing that knocked my socks off immediately about the man was he didn't disparage my ordination and my pastoral call, mm. even though I was a Baptist, and even though my ordination was pretty much a joke. And yeah. I don't want to say that. I don't want to offend anybody with that one. i gotta, I got to remember, other people are listening. Yeah, right. But my ordination was three questions. Okay. And I'll, I'll, I can tell you what three. What do, what do I believe about tithing? What's my okay. testimony, and uh, what's my favorite Bible verse? Those were my okay. three ordination questions. Right. Now I'm not saying the Baptist Church is all bad, but that's how I was ordained. And and, mm-hmm. and and he he asked me during this lunch that we had. We went to that Mexican restaurant over here. Um, it's closed down now. But he's like, "How do you know you're called to the ministry?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I'm called. You know, yeah. I, I feel the Lord's hand upon me." I, I gave him all the subjective answers I could. Right. And he's like, he wasn't having any. He said, how do you know that you're called to the ministry? I mean, he was like, I was like, Burke, I don't know what you want me to say. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, because men laid hands on you objectively and you were put, this ministry was put upon you by other men. That's good. And I was like, uh, I never thought of it that way. It's objective. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of went down that road from then forward for another couple of years. The, obje- the objectivity of the covenant, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. And yeah. that kind of got me going down that road. The objectivity of baptism, the objectivity of, of the Lord's Supper, things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so I'm I, again. I keep getting lost in what I'm yeah. trying to answer. But, but basically, that friendship led to where I'm led at. to where you're at today. Yeah. Okay. Now it's interesting because the last year and a half for everybody has been a curious year and a half of of what to do and 
it's driven a lot of people to the scriptures in light of COVID, yeah. in light of lockdowns. And there's been anger there. You know, we'll go to the, we'll keep anger as a theme yeah. here. There's been a lot of anger of, of knowing what to do and, and what's the right thing. But from the outside looking in and talking with Bill and just a friendship with Bill that I've developed over the last couple of years, you guys have handled things very similarly, or maybe it, we have handled things very similarly to you guys. And uh, How long did you all lock down? We were out. We had two weeks that we went video, mm-hmm. but my family was at the church building. We had families there still, right. a couple of them. And then, uh, then we did like four or five weeks of in the parking lot thing, mm-hmm. and then we went back after that. I think we were back a week after you guys is when it was. I know for, well, we went fully back July 4th, but we did... Um, Kind of a, a half. We did two services for a while, okay. so so we could keep our numbers fifty fifty. Okay. We have two hundred people roughly. Yeah. And if we put fifty upstairs and fifty downstairs via direct video. Yeah. We could get, we could we could go through the Pritzker rules. Okay. Without having to worry about anybody right overlooking over our shoulders. So that's how we did it for a few weeks. But we were in yeah. the building. So we just we didn't do that. We just went full blown back. Because how many, we how many have, in your congregation? At that time, we had a hundred. Okay. Yeah. So you're, like that. you're on the same. Yeah. And so it, it worked out well, but uh, but I, I know that for everybody, even within churches that are really unified, our elder team was unified in what to do. Right. Uh, we're still unified on that, but there are some, you know, there, there are difficulties. And so let's just say fall, most likely there's going to be lockdowns again. They're already talking about masks. What are you guys going to do? What, how are you guys going to approach Oh, at this point? It? Yeah. Oh, so that's... like if they say, yeah. uh, if they say, hey... Cornerstone and all churches, you guys got to do masks again. You got to social distance again, and you can't have a building more than fifty people again. So, what are you guys going to do about it? Uh, we have never wavered on the masks. In other words, we've said if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Exactly. And they're at the front door if you yep. if you don't have one. But and there has been families, I think, throughout the whole thing. Maybe there from maybe March to June, nobody was masking. I'm talking about this year, 2021. Mm-hmm. But all through last year, we had a couple of families masking. Uh, we have a lot of doctors in our church. Yeah. Uh, ER doctors. Mm-hmm. And they, frontline workers, you know, they, they, they've seen, many of our doctors have seen things that the rest of us have not seen as mm-hmm. far as, you know, people dying. Yeah. And so it affects them a little differently, I think, and a little heavier. Uh, those of us who aren't in the hospitals all the time don't see it. So, but we've never wavered on mandates. Mm-hmm. We're not... I don't have... It's not in my soul. And it's not in Bill Smith's soul. And Sean Jack is our other elder. I don't know if you've met him. But all three of us together, uh, to the man, it's not in our soul to tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean that in a, in a broad sense. Obviously, they need to believe the gospel. They need yeah, to yeah, come yeah. to church. They need, right. we, yeah, we tell them right. what to do. But we don't have this thing in our soul like, I guess, Joe Biden and the rest of the, <laughs> the politicos Seriously. telling everybody what to do. Yeah. Um, you Grow up. Yeah. Mature in Christ and be wise. Right now, Bill's he's preaching through Proverbs. And I think his goal, I think he, st- I think he said this to me, his goal is to mature the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. There's wisdom here. Let's grow up and be wise. Yeah. And take control of your life and take control of... Uh, your family and where you're going to go, where you've headed, and why you do things yeah. and what you do. And so, anyway, we we just have, from the beginning, we've talked it through. I'm talking about March of last year. We we're not big on mandates. We're not yep. big on. 
Uh, again, we don't want to be rebels. We don't want to be thumbing our nose at the authorities. Bill has been very good about calling the local authorities. Yeah, the sheriff, <coughs> the health department, and for the most part, it's just kind of been funny responses. Uh, you know, from them, mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to tell you guys what to do. Yeah, we're not interested in being uh, despots and being t t uh, tyrants. So, which has been a pleasant surprise because that's what been. I've gotten as well. We, it's been completely hands off, and really, in Southern Illinois. You'd expect most of Illinois to be hands-off, but if anywhere is going to be kind of like Chicago, you'd think it'd be Carbondale. Yeah, we're little Chicago in some sense, yeah, aren't we? but it's been hands-off, you know, right. which has been great. And we haven't had any issues at all. And I think more churches that have wanted to, but maybe if they were afraid in some sense that the sheriff was going to show up or that the police officer was going to show up, I think uh, if churches do what they should have done last year, just continue to gather, they're mm -hmm. not going to have any trouble. I mean, they might... At some point in the future, if we continue to comply and continue to to obey unjust law, but even in the city of Carbondale, we didn't have a single cop. We have cops at our church that said, you know, right. we've not been in communication with the health department at all. There's not been any communication back and forth, and so I, we've we've got to now, when the pressure is, you know, other places around the world are gathering on Sunday mornings with the thought of with the with the real threat of death. Christians right, in yeah, Afghanistan sure. right Afghanistan, now. Pakistan. And, uh, and yeah, our, sure. our biggest threat at this point is still minimal on the global scale. But it could be, I mean, growing, and we see that certainly evidence of, of the possibility of that growing. So we did have one instance where one of our members got COVID okay. and did the did, followed all the rules as far as uh, went and got tested. Yeah. And so then their name got put in a database at the health department, and then they con they called them and contact traced. Oh yeah. And they admitted honestly, you know, mm -hmm. just being good citizens, I guess. Yeah, I go to this. I go to Cornerstone Reformed Church. Mm -hmm. And so then we started getting these phone calls from uh. the health department. And uh, you know they were leaving messages on our recorder and basically um, just didn't just didn't answer them. Yeah. You know we don't right. have to talk to you. Right. You can't do anything about it. Yeah. So that's seriously. been the only really interaction with the government that's been negative. Yeah. I guess. Well. Let's switch gears a little bit here. Uh, you guys have, at least you used to, when Burke was there, you'd have head of household meetings, gatherings for church. For, yeah, our, I guess the way we organize, or, we organize by household. Yeah. Right? Okay. So we have a meeting once or twice a year, depending on the need. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of my listeners have, over the last two years, really been interested in uh, patriarchy and households and building healthy households. Mm -hmm. You're a guy that's done this. You got your age range from, you said, 23 till, what's your youngest? Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. And, you know, so you have some kids out of the home, some kids in the home still. And we have pastors who are leading men in their churches. And we have young guys that we're shepherding and pastoring. And uh, why is that culture so important in your home of head of households and building healthy families? You know, again, from the outside looking in, Cornerstone Reform, there's so many things that are mm -hmm. going on that we would hope to emulate, that we would hope to... To replicate. So why is that? Why are healthy homes, healthy men, important for healthy churches? Uh, I, there's a there's a great quote, and it's in my catalog of quotes in my head, and I can't remember who said it, but it's something to the degree of, if a if a man comes to Christ, there's like this ninety percent chance that all his family is going to convert yeah. in, in the next five years. Mm -hmm. If a woman comes to Christ, uh, there's not as good of a chance. Yeah. And I'm not saying that women coming to Christ isn't a good thing. Oh yeah. Don't don't. Yeah. Uh, obviously. I don't think you have uh, listeners that would, would think that. But anyway, um, God works through the family. Yeah, he and has. And I've been convinced of that before, long before I was even, you know, in the Reformed world. 
long before I was a pastor, my wife and I both were given a good example of godly patriarchy. And I would use, I use patriarchy with a small p mm-hmm. all the time. It's a good word. I think we should recover it. Don't let the left have it or don't let the, the feminists have that word. Um, but at Murdale Baptist Church, where I grew up, we had a man who was our associate pastor, music minister in the '90s. His name was Don Bolin. Okay. He's now been he's now been uh, passed away for about three years. But he had eight kids. He was he was one of the early homeschooling guys. He's the first person I ever knew that homeschooled. Okay. So when I'm in high school, he, this guy comes to our church. 1990 starts serving. What school? It. And you went to Carbonell High School. I went to Carbonell yeah, High School. Right. So I'm in Carbonell High School, just doing my thing. I went to four years of Christian school between. Fifth and eighth grade. Okay. And I I, I credit Trinity, that as... Was that Trinity you went to? Or uh, you Trinity didn't exist at that time. Okay. I went to uh, Community of Faith, which is now yeah, yeah, basically yeah. Agape, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what they call it now. And then I went to Murfreesboro Christian Academy for junior high, which okay. is defunct now too. But uh, I, I credit those four years of not being in the public school as my salvation. I mean, God okay. really used that to... But I went back to the public schools. I wanted to play football and I wanted to, you know, do all these things that didn't really work out. But Okay. Um, <laughs> So I spent four years, so uh, 90 to 93 as a Carbonell High School. And this, this associate pastor came to Murdale named Don Bolin with his wife, Jeannie, and his, his eight kids. And they were homeschoolers. And I never, I never heard of homeschooling before mm-hmm. that. And the example of him and his family left a deep impression on me and my wife. My wife's a little older than me, so she was in college at this time. Okay. And so she was heavily influenced by it. And so by the time we got married, we're not reformed. We're not patriarchal we're not whatever the words are we're not that mm-hmm. we're just run of the mill just christians but we had seen this example and that's what we wanted yeah and we want to emulate this and so that's where i'm, I'm getting back to the answer to the question of why why do we need men mm-hmm. to be godly to be christians to be the leaders and all these things because that's an example to others yeah and people follow if you have a church full of men who love Jesus, you have a solid church, and you have a generational church. Mm-hmm. If you have a church, and this is the church I pastored now, so mm-hmm. I'm saying this with some authority. If you have a church full of women whose husbands don't come, uh, you don't have a generational church. No. You have a church that's dying, and that's the church I pastored. Um, Which church was that? It was called Harrison Baptist Church. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From 05 to 08, and it, it was a, it was a faithful group of believers. I'm not. I don't want to disparage. It was it was a good. I think they're done now. Yeah, they've 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 completely closed now. Uh, Matt Brown was our pastor for about eight years after I left. That's right. And then now he's in Carterville. Mm-hmm. And he he did his best to try to keep it going, but uh, just didn't didn't last. But part of the problem was they didn't have a younger generation. Mm-hmm. And even though I came and I was a young man, I was 30 at the time, and and I had a lot of kids. We never could get that that going because there wasn't a lot of faithful men in the church. Yeah. Uh, a lot of faithful women and they love Jesus and their husbands, you know, uh, may have claimed Christ, but they didn't come to church. Yeah. And so it, it just, it doesn't work. Right. So you have to have faithful men. That's how God works. Uh, that's, uh, that's anecdotal, but that's true. Yeah. Yeah. If you get the men and that's, what's been neat to see at our church is that God has, has done that. We have families, we have kids everywhere. We have men, that sing and sing loudly. We there's a key. Yeah, most people don't talk about. Yeah, well, uh, we don't sing as loud as Cornerstone. Well, have church, you? But, <laughs> but it, do you, I don't. I don't know your your childhood church experience. But community you, of faith is where I grew up. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's the school, man. That was yeah. the school I went yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, you, we probably know a lot of the same people. Um, yeah. When you were growing up, what was music like in your church? It was contemporary. We didn't do any. Uh, there was no hymnals. There were no. 
It was it was basically words on the wall. So, yeah, it was words, yeah, it was projector okay. wall on the wall. Okay. Yeah. And did you have like a praise band or what? what oh yeah, a big know? praise band. Yeah. So with Murdale growing up, it was it was hymns and piano, organ, okay. and uh, we didn't go praise band until after I left. So uh, they didn't go praise band until after I left. But I can remember uh, one time sitting in church as you know how the youth group would always sit by, in the back. Yeah, on the back row by themselves, yeah. you know. Yeah. With just well, the we had our spot on the on the left side. Okay. Well, anyway, we Myrtle had this, and I was, you know, I was in high school or whatever, and uh, I can. There was this. There was this thing going on, and when you're in high school, you can kind of you pick up on the pulse of things, but you don't know the full situation. All I all I remember is there was this guy in our church and this woman, and I, I knew they were living together and they weren't married. Okay. And I don't remember the whole details of all that. I think she was divorced, and maybe he was too, but they were living together and they weren't married. And they sat at an angle, if you were looking at the pulpit from where I was in the back row with the youth, okay. they were in between me and the pulpit, all right? And so when we're, on Sunday morning when you're singing, you're, you're singing toward the pulpit, right? Yeah. That's where the music guy's leading and shaking his hands. And I'm looking through their back of their heads. Mm-hmm. And this is just a watershed moment for me in my Christian experience. And we're singing uh, that song, We're Marching to Zion. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the verses... In that song, I can't quote them all to you, but it says something like, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. Mm. We're marching up to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. That, that's, that's the line. Yeah. And I remember looking through them and seeing that they weren't singing. Oh, well, wow. Right, right when we quoted this, we're, we're all yeah. singing. And I thought, why aren't they not singing? It's because they're, they're under conviction. Yeah. They know they're doing wrong, and they don't know God. Uh-huh. That's, and this is just a kid. I don't know if any of that's true. Mm-hmm. This is just a kid, 15, 16 years old, and it all starts clicking in my head. Music is important, but I'm not a musician. What do I do with that? Yeah. Coming to Cornerstone years later, it started to all sink in how important it really was. Mm. Um, Burke Shade was a terrible singer. Yeah. The dude couldn't carry a tune, <laughs> but he knew the importance of music as a uh-huh. pastor. And so he pushed our congregation that way. Now, Bill Smith is an excellent singer. Oh, is He's he really? highly trained. I didn't know that. He went to college basically for uh, vocal performance. Really? We got his bachelor's degree in. No way. So he's the, op- the, the direct opposite. Uh-huh. But Bill would say, even if you, if you talk to him about this, Burke's, just his will power, pushing mm-hmm. the church in a musical direction yeah. so that we sing robustly, we sing the Psalms, we sing loudly, mm-hmm. uh, we play skillfully, those kind of things. And, yeah. and I say we, mm-hmm. me is just at the very back of this because I'm not very good at any of this stuff. But that's... That's what's given us, I think, our that it's it's really it sets the tone. It sets your marching orders. Yeah. Your 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 congregation is a is a band as an army. Mm-hmm. And Sunday morning you're going into battle. Yeah, that's true. You're, you're marching on the gates of hell, right? That's yeah. that's the whole idea of of uh, what Jesus said: the gates of hell shall not prevail, right? And so the music is your weapon. I mean, Joshua going around Jericho, right? Mm-hmm. The music is is the weapon. Yeah. The spirit is the weapon, and the spirit's coming out your mouth. Uh, in, in song it's not flesh and blood right it's this it's this it's this spiritual warfare you're in so all those things coalesce on a sunday morning to yeah you need to be singing and you need to be singing loud mm-hmm. and you need to be singing skillfully and you men especially need to be singing yeah. one of the things that yeah. I, I didn't realize when we first came to cornerstone was how important Men singing and women singing. Uh-huh. The differences. So, one of the things I think we're you and I uh, are we Gen Xers? Um, kind you're of. You're the, kind I'm on the a, edge. I'm a you're on the old, edge, right? old millennial. Okay, so I'm a Gen Xer. You're an, you're an old millennial. 
one of the things we grew up with was hair band music, right? Yeah. Metal music. And what is always the lead singer doing? He's going falsetto as high as he can sing, right? Yeah, he is. Now, I guess nobody's ever really poo-pooed this idea, but I think this is a, I think this has some legit. This is a legitimate point. We were just grown up in that. That's how men sing, uh-huh. you know, way up yeah. there. And that isn't how men sing. Uh-huh. That's that's false. Right. And I think that's. I'm not going to come up with a conspiracy theory, but, um, you know, back in the old days when uh, the Catholic Church wanted a, a young man to maintain that high voice, what did they do to him? Mm-hmm. They cut his genitals off. off. Yeah. yeah. So he could. He he's a castralto, they called him. Oh wow! Castrated high singer. Wow. Uh, why why did they do that? Why do they want to keep him high? I don't know, but that's not what God wanted. Right. God wants a, a male voice to drop, and then He wants men to sing low, mm-hmm. and the women to sing, and the children to sing high. Yeah, that's cool. And if you don't have both of those in your congregation, you don't have good music. Yeah. So one of the <laughs> things that we we when we first came to Cornerstone, it was just a culture shock. Mm-hmm. Oh, the men sing here. Yeah, that's cool. And of course, when I was a pastor. I had to sing because I'm the pastor. Everybody's looking at me, right? Right. But I'm a terrible singer, and there's not that many men in this church. Right. So it, that was one of the biggest um, unwritten, under the under the surface, culture shock things about coming into a church culture where men are doing what men are supposed to do. That's cool. The songs. Yeah, that's neat. Well, hey, man, this has been a great conversation. Lots of food for thought. I think guys are going to listen and uh, enjoy it. But guys, we've been talking to Nathan Brunall. Appreciate you. I've got nothing to promote. Here. I've got no books. No, I've got no podcast. No website. I, I can't. I mean, I have a, a IT website, but I don't really. Care. I'm not going to promote that. <laughs> I have a I have a YouTube channel, but it has nothing yeah. to do with this kind of stuff. Okay, gotcha. Uh, but uh, keep what what I think I want to say to you finally is keep moving the way you're moving because okay. from 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 me looking over the picket fence at your church and your website and your and listening, um, you know, I've been checking out some of the different podcasts. It's refreshing to say, oh, there's, you know, 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. Amen. So here's another guy in my town who I don't know much about, but now gain, gaining some knowledge of, they're going in the same direction. Yeah, well, you know, we're Presbyterians, they're Baptists, whatever. But, but I'm not, it doesn't really, they're marching forward. The kingdom is going forward. Yeah. So keep on, Amen. keep on doing that. Amen. Appreciate it, man.